Well, today we're going to begin our series on James. Does, it, does anyone know? Like, I'm talking about James that's in the Bible, right? I'm not talking about, you know, Trevin James. But James, it says right there, a faith to live by. It, I, I think it's so appropriate for the book of James because in many ways it's the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. It's filled with instruction after instruction for Christians on how we're to live our lives, how we're supposed to walk this whole thing out with Jesus. It's highly relevant, by the way, to what you and I are going through in our day-to-day lives as Christians. It exists to help us as followers of Jesus to live faithfully for God. It's a wonderful book. I shouldn't do a show of hands, but if you haven't read it before, read it. It's not that long. You can read it in probably about 20, 30 minutes. And it's got to be one of the most quoted books in the Bible. It's got some great bumper sticker material. I just wanted to give you a few. These are all from, from the book of James. God cannot be tempted. You ever hear that one before? Um, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Here's a good one. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's a good one for me to put on my bathroom mirror. All right, here's, here's another one. Uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's powerful, right? I mean, that's, that's really relevant to us as Christians. There's a lot of hearers of the word, but not as many doers. Oh, I, I love this one. Faith apart from works is... Faith apart from works is... Dead. 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 Boom. Buried. Faith without works doesn't exist. And then this one. Resist the devil and he will... He will flee from you. So there's some heavy hitters in these five chapters. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited because J- James, he cuts to the chase. He doesn't meander around the issues or the topics. No, he, it, the book of James, it gives us command after command, not to discourage us, but so that we would flourish in this life of obedience to Jesus. In many ways, I see the book of James as a bridge. It's a bridge. It takes Jesus in his life. And all that he taught, all that he did. And, and James makes this connection between all of that and how it applies to us. How we're, we're to go about doing this thing we call the Christian life. Now, as you might presume, the book of James, like I said earlier, was written by James. Um, that's a good reason to call it James. Now, there were several Jameses in the Bible. Jesus had how many of the disciples, of the 12 disciples, were called James? This is biblical trivia. Good job. That's really good. I'm so proud of you. If I had a candy bar, I'd give it to you. But um, he said two, and he's right. There was James called the son of thunder, right? I love that one. And he's actually the son of Zebedee. And then there's James, the son of Alphaeus. But then there's James, the brother of Jesus. Remember that, James? And most scholars believe it's this guy, Jesus' brother, who actually wrote this book. And that's who we're going to be studying about today. From the biblical narrative on Jesus' brothers, you actually find a little bit about the brothers. In fact, James, uh, during James, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, was not fully supportive of Jesus. Uh, you find this. They had their doubts. In John 7, 5, it says, toward the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not even his brothers were believing in him. Mark three twenty one. it tells us, this is great, uh, when Jesus first started preaching, his family went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Okay, so that's some family encouragement. <laughs> but um, the thing about James is the same man who first doubted Jesus during his ministry later would become one of the most important leaders in the early church, in the church 
in Jerusalem. And I've always kind of liked James because James is a little brother. And, and I'm a little brother, right? I, I have four older siblings. And so that's cool. But I, don't, I think we can stop that comparison pretty quick, right? Because he's like the little brother of the Son of God. <laughs> Which is a little different. He's the little brother of Jesus. Have you ever thought of what that must be like, right? To be the brother or the sister of Jesus. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it blows my mind, really. I, I, I can't even fathom it. It's unreal how confusing that must have been. I mean, it just begin to think along with me. I mean, what was it like to play with Jesus? Like, what was it like to play My Little Ponies or, or Fisher Price? What was it like to, to disagree with Jesus? I mean, we didn't have a lot of arguments or fights in my family, but some, there was times when we just went at it. I mean, how do you fight with who the Bible says was without sin? Right? <laughs> really? I mean, how frustrating is that? You would never win. Around the house, was he a clean freak? Or was he messy? Did he eat with his elbows on the table? Did he say please and thank you? I mean, I have so many questions that I want to ask Jesus about how, or actually ask James about how it was to live with Jesus. Uh, go a little bit deeper into this. I, I have a clip that I wanted to show us, and then we'll talk about James a little bit further. But let's go ahead and take a look. I get a lot of much. I read the Bible a lot, and I was reading. You know, somebody's going to have to back me up on this, so you're going to think I made it up for the sake of the joke. How many people know Jesus had a little brother? Right. Anybody know his name? What's his name? James. I was reading that. And I was like, wow. How much pressure was that? Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? Because <laughs> you know everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do. But he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> Remember the wedding banquet? Right? Jesus turned water into wine. Right, it was delicious. Everybody was amazed by it. Right, but this this little side note, what you might not know, is with the hues, right, where they got the water from, was these things called water pots. And the water pots, they would set them at the door, and people would dip their hands in them before they went inside. Now they were out of wine, which means the place was full, which means the water was dirty. So he took some dirty water, made it clean and acceptable, and it was the best at the banquet, which is exactly what it does for us. But I'm thinking about James. What about the next banquet? <laughs> Jesus probably wasn't there, right? They started running out of wine. I bet everybody looked at James. <laughs> hey, man, your brother was here last time. We ran out of wine. Huh? You just going to stand there with your sandals on? You're not going to make no wine? <laughs> and you know how little brothers are. I'm sure everywhere Jesus went, James followed him. That's what little brothers do. If Jesus went there, so did James. I bet one time, James almost drowned. <laughs> so uh, if you have your Bibles, would you uh, go ahead and open them up? By the way, if you don't own a Bible, I have a couple more I'd love to give you. So just find me after service. And uh, they're really nice, uh, beautiful Bibles. I'd love to give you one. But uh, let's see what this... Little brother, I love that clip, by the way, that this little brother of Jesus has to say about being a Christian. But before we do, let's go and pray. 
God, I'm, I'm just so excited to be able to open up your word today and start another book. It, it's a new chapter again here at LifeSpring. And to be able to uh, see what Jesus' little brother has to say about the Son of God, um, how could you not be excited about that? But I pray that you would open our hearts uh, to you, God, open up our ears to you, God, and that we would be receptive to your word today, that we would not be cold and bitter and opposed to you, but we would yield our spirits to your spirit. So I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I think it's important to remember, as we read today, that this was written by a man who would end up dying for his faith. Just like most of the other disciples. He, he, most scholars believe James was stoned in 62 AD. And I would just say, as you read the words that he writes, words meant to encourage us, meant to strengthen the believers, remember that he lived out his life by these same words. He died by these same words. He didn't back down. He never gave up, but he poured out his life for his big brother. He poured out his life, more importantly, for the risen Lord. So let's read it together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. So he opens up the letter saying, welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to trials. Right? He says, get ready for some trials. But he says, don't despair. Don't lose heart because of these hardships. Rather, bear up under them. Persevere. Rely on God. Trust in God instead of yourself. Fully trust in Him. Even when it begins to feel impossible. He says, do this. And God will use your trials to make you a more faithful, more mature, and complete follower of Jesus. I remember I was reading the beginning of this of, of, of James earlier this week and I just kind of gave this disgusted laugh like wow you know you, you start a letter like that that's real cool James you started off by saying consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when you face trials of many kinds I mean really James was that the first thing that you had to talk about I mean really the first subject you bring up is for me to consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kind. I mean, that's like saying to Kathy, hey, Kathy, I heard you lost your job today. But hey, it's going to be exciting to see how God's going to use, you, use it. Consider it pure joy. She'd hit me. What a jerk. What a bum. I mean, even if it's the truth, I mean, don't you wait to say that at least till like the third paragraph or the fourth paragraph? But no, you see, James, he's bold right off the bat. Consider it pure joy. All right, we're going to push the pause button for just a second. 
And let's go back to the greeting. James identifies himself as who? If we can put the verse back up there. Read that together. James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is James. This is Jesus' younger brother who knew Jesus as a child. He knew him as a teenager, as a young adult. But now he's addressing his brother as a servant of God. Or he's addressing his brother as his Lord and as the Christ. Again, this is a man who, again, once doubted Jesus during his ministry. But now he's addressing him as the Lord and the Christ. For me, this highlights the magnitude of what truly happens when Jesus died on the cross and when he raised back to life three days later. He, he went from being just a good teacher, from being a miracle worker who could heal the sick and feed the masses, to now he has become the one who has died and rose again, who has conquered death, who has defeated death, the one who fulfilled the prophecies of the coming Messiah, the one who left so that the Holy Spirit could come. Jesus became to James what he's become for every one of us. He's become our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, the one who forgives us of our sins. He's the one who gives us eternal life. It's, it's a very powerful statement that Jesus' earthly brother addresses himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James is letting us know that he's really telling us what truly matters, right? He's telling us what matters. And isn't it great to know that even though we weren't Jesus' earthly siblings, we actually get to stand with James in this greeting. We equally stand with James in this identity that we too are servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to address his letter to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It's important to understand he's not talking just about Jewish believers here. This would be for every believer. That just as the children of Israel were dispersed throughout the world in their exile, so also the believers of so also the believers in Christ are now aliens and strangers who are waiting for God to take them home. Just as the Old Testament prophets, they were holding out hope that one day God would return their people to their land. We as Christians, we are waiting as well, aren't we? We're waiting for the redemption when the soon and coming King Jesus Christ will return. And I think. This is important as well, to be reminded that we are aliens and strangers in this world. It ties directly into the encouragement to us to consider it pure joy when you face the trials of this world. They're connected. He, he is reminding us that this is not our home. Even though they may take our life, like they did to James, we are living for something that is way beyond our time on this earth. We live for an everlasting God who has prepared for us an eternal dwelling and for those of us who are Christians, the fact that God will lead us one day to our true home allows us to face the trials of our day and consider it, amazingly enough, as pure joy. Now, I'm not perfect in this. Sometimes I lose my focus. I start living for the here and now, for the things of this world. It happens more than I would like to admit. But when I stop and when I pray, I regain the eternal focus, the eternal viewpoint on life, I'm able to face the trials of this life with a faith-filled attitude. So here he is. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's giving a chain argument. I love chain arguments, right? Where one thing leads to another, which leads to another. I want to take a look at this again with one question in mind. What is the end result of our trials? So can we read this together again? So consider it 
pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you got many trials, many trials, trials of different shapes and sizes, degrees, difficulties. You got all these kinds of trials. But consider it pure joy because facing trials is actually a testing of your faith. Well, that ain't the truth. (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, how many people in this room have had their faith tested as you've gone through a trial? Yeah, I mean, wow. You bet. Our faith is tested. Our faith is tested in the midst of trials. So, just so you know, when you saw the other hands in the room, you're not the only one. I hope that's an encouragement. Maybe it's an encouragement. But you're not the only one who's ever had your faith tested before. It happens to all of us. But the testing of our faith, church, it's very important. Without real trials, you're not going to find real faith. It doesn't preach well, but it's true. Without real trials, you're not going to find real faith. If life was always rainbows and butterflies, who would even need faith? No, faith faith is found in the midst of the heartache of life. Faith is found in the times when everything seems against you, when nothing's going your way. Look at Job. And what do we say about Job? Job was steadfast and he kept his faith in God when everything was taken from him. What do we say about Abraham? Abraham, who led his son Isaac to be sacrificed. You see that Abraham was a man of faith. But their faith was proved in the midst of their trials and their suffering. Again, preaching like this, talking about trials, this is not a good way to grow a church. (laughs) I I know preachers who could preach for 40 years and never talk about trials and pain and suffering. And I get it. I mean, who enjoys pain? I, I don't seek after it. In fact, much of my life, much of my efforts in life is spent trying to avoid it. But listen to what Paul says, the Apostle Paul, Romans 5. This is another chain argument. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's that perseverance word again. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you catch it? Did you, did, you, did you find the final outcome of our suffering? Paul says our suffering produces, what's the final part? Hope. Now, both James and Paul, in these chain arguments, they mention perseverance. We just read what Paul says about perseverance. Let's read again what James writes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I've got to be honest, as a follower of Christ, as a pastor for almost 10 years now, if there's one thing I see lacking in the American church, it's perseverance. We've signed up for a Christianity that says life is going to be easy. God wants us to be happy all the time, pain-free all the time. So that there's if, if there's any opposition, any challenges, any hard work to be involved, we take a step back. We don't want to do hard work. We retreat. And I've seen so many well-intentioned brothers and sisters in Christ. They come to me with passion, with dreams, with vision for their life. They even take steps to begin to walk this out. But then what happens? Life happens. Kids happen. 
Job change happens. Health issues happen. You name it, happens. And then we draw back. Now, sometimes it's healthy and appropriate to draw back. I've seen it where people just in necessity had to take a step back, had to take some time to regroup. But then they started in again. I saw this in my wife, Mary, about seven years ago. She had a huge panic attack, thought she was dying. And after that, we went through a very difficult season where her body was just at war with her. And she had to say no to some things. She had to get her feet back underneath her. But soon, I got to be honest, after she started going for it again, she, she just really went for it. And, and was it after everything was figured out and everything was, you know, perfect and butterflies and rainbows again? No, it wasn't. But she started to go forward. And she wasn't completely over anxiety, but she began to press in. And, and I'm so proud of her for doing that. But re, the reality is God had things that he had called her to do. And it was time for her to do them. But I found most stories, they don't end up like Mary's. Most stories begin with the excitement, begin with that passion for Jesus, wanting to change the world for Jesus. But then those trials come in and you get beat down. And that's it. Story over. Dreams dead. Perseverance. Non-existent. I call it the defeated Christian. By the way, which is an oxymoron. You can't be defeated. <laughs> but it happens again and again. Maybe this is for you today. But I just want to tell you, I want to remind us, the Christian life is a life of perseverance. Again, this doesn't preach well, but it's true. And by God's grace, and by His mercy, you can persevere. By God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can persevere through trials, and you can be victorious in Jesus. Now, depending upon your translation, the Bible uses different words for perseverance. It might say endurance or patience or the English Standard Version. I love this one. It says steadfastness. I love that word, steadfastness. It literally means to remain under, like a person holding up a heavy weight for a long period of time. Does life ever feel like that? <laughs> right? I mean, whoo, like you're carrying a heavy weight. Sometimes that's exactly how life feels. But it's interesting. The minute I say that, as Christians, we come up with this Christian answer that the Lord wants to remove that burden, that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light, which is true. Amen. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But we misuse that verse all the time. Just for a second, I wanted to take us, just spend some time to talk through that verse. It comes from a, uh, anyone know where that is found? What, what book of the Bible that's in? Matthew. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. It's Jesus talking. Listen to what he says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul's for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Absolutely one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He's telling us all who are weary, all who are burdened, come to Jesus for rest. But it's important that we understand he isn't talking here about our physical burdens. For those Bible scholars in the house, anyone that's ever taken a Christianity 101 class or, or a systematic theology class, you would know that he's talking about the heavy burden of the system of works, right? That the Pharisees have laid on the backs of the people. These Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they have laid a heavy burden upon the people. In fact, does Jesus, is he really impressed with the Pharisees? 
No, it's an easy answer. He's not impressed at all. And so Jesus, one of the reasons he came was to relieve this heavy burden. In fact, later on in Matthew, the same book, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for laying this heavy burden on the people. This is what he says. This is Jesus again. He says, those Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. So Jesus wants us to know, wants you to know that following him is not the same as what those Pharisees were making the people do. His burden is light. And he says his yoke is easy. Now, the yoke of the Pharisees, it's burdensome. It's full of self-righteousness and legalistic law-keeping. The Pharisees at the time, you've maybe heard this before, but they had added over 600 regulations regarding to what qualified as working or work during the Sabbath. You ever heard that? They just added rule after rule after rule, over 600 of what it meant to work or not work during the Sabbath. A heavy burden. And these regulations, do you think Jesus enjoyed these regulations? Again, simple answer, no. He did not enjoy these. In fact, read your Bible and just search Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus has a lot to say, speak against the Pharisees. So Jesus, he is speaking against all of it. And he says in verse 29, this is very important, verse 29. He says, instead of going the way of the Pharisees and under their yoke, he says three words. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. And praise God for Jesus coming in. And speaking against that yoke of oppression and the burden of the Pharisees and their system of law keeping. Because we as Christians now who learn from Jesus, we know that no amount of law keeping can bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. Right? As Christians, we understand that. Paul says that in Romans 3.20. He, he says, no one, say no one, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. So praise God, Jesus has given us th- this rest. This rest from the heavy burden of trying to earn our way into heaven, right? To do a bunch of work to get into heaven. He's given us rest from the oppressive yoke of self-righteousness and legalism. And Jesus encourages us who are heavy laden to take his yoke upon us so that we can find rest for our souls. The yoke of Jesus is light. His burden is easy to carry. It's the yoke, by the way, of repentance. The yoke of faith, followed by commitment to follow hard after him. As the Apostle John says, 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God. This is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are what? Are not burdensome. To really drive this point home, what makes Jesus' yoke easy and His burden is light is that truly what He did by His death on the cross and His resurrection. In His obedience, in His perfect fulfillment of the law of God, He carried the burden, Right? Right? He carried our burden. He carried our sin. The sin that we were meant to carry. He carried it. And his perfect obedience gets applied to who? Gets applied to us through faith. Again, another Bible verse. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that in him we, all of us, might become what? The righteousness of God. Topping it all off, the Father sends us the Holy Spirit so that all of us can have the Holy Spirit working inside of us, into our lives, molding us into the image of Christ, therefore making the yoke of Jesus easy and His burden light inside of each one of us. So our life in Christ is a much lighter yoke, is a much easier burden than to carry that heavy, burdensome yoke of self-righteousness where we strive so hard to make ourselves acceptable to God through works. Which, by the way, did that work? No, that never works. 
So no longer under the yoke of the Pharisees are burdened down by their rituals and laws. Jesus now has made a way for us. It's not complicated. It's not hard to figure out. You repent of your ways, you confess your sins, and you just follow hard after Jesus with everything you got. Period. All right? Sometimes following Jesus, whose yoke is easy and burden is light, sometimes it can be really hard. Have you noticed that? It can be really hard. Like everyone around you wants to kill you hard. Like 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed. Like Paul was killed. James was killed. John the Baptist, whoo, killed. Kind of hard. That was my beheaded sign. (laughs) Knowing that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Which is, again, one of the most powerful things. We are His forever. He loves us. He cares for us. He's prepared a place for us. Hallelujah. Amen. But knowing that His burden is light, His yoke is easy, we endure. We persevere. We remain steadfast. Again, steadfast. Remaining under. To remain under. Picture the imagery of a person just holding up a heavy weight for a long period of time. Think of someone who lifts weights for exercise. If you've ever lifted weights, what is going to be the effect? What is going to be the full effect of a person's steadfastness? You're going to get ripped, right? You're going to get equipped. You're going to get filled up. You're going to get trained up. You're going to be prepared physically. For you and me as Christians who will have to endure trials in this life, what are the effects of you and I remaining steadfast under the weight of our trials? So let, let, me, let me finish the verse. It's better than anything that can happen in the gym. Read it again. Here it says, could, read it with me. Consider it pure joy. You can say it out loud. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right, there's perseverance. Continue. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Come on, mature and complete, not lacking some things. No, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, we put our trust in God, all of it, in the good times, in the bad times. We put everything we have into the hands of God and we say, God, I don't know why you're allowing me to go through this. I don't understand all of the pain. I don't understand the heartbreak, all of the suffering. But I put my trust in you that you are doing a good work in me, that you are faithful to see it to completion. You are refining me as fire refines the gold that you are for me, not against me. And this perseverance, it will finish its work so that I might be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. I trust you, God. I trust you, God, that you are more than able. I trust you, God, that forever you are faithful. I trust you, God. That's real deal Christianity. That's the truth. And even now, some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure I want to sign up for that. (laughs) And my response would be this. The road is narrow that leads to life. And only a few find it. So I don't know about you, but this is where I've been living the last two weeks. It's been tough. Lately, um, hasn't been the most enjoyable time to be your pastor. But I've prayed every day. I've prayed, Lord, I put my trust in you. Because I know in the end, all of this, the outcome will be that I will be mature, complete, 
not lacking anything. I will be dangerous for the kingdom of God. So let's keep reading verses five through eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James is telling us, you need wisdom. You need to ask God for wisdom because you're going to need it. If you're going to persevere under these trials, then you're going to need the wisdom of God and all of its benefits. I don't have time to read Proverbs 2, but it tells us the benefits of this kind of wisdom. A God-given, a God-centered wisdom. You and I, we need discernment in how to live in this world. We need to have God-shaped glasses, right? Where we see this world and our circumstances as God sees them and behave accordingly. For instance, when the trials come, we have to ask this question. How does God see this trial? It's a really good question to ask. How does God see this trial? And the follow-up question would be this. How is how God sees the trial different than how I am tempted to see the trial? Right? Part of following Jesus, part of having faith in God is getting on the same wavelength as God. You know, when my fiance left me, when she called off that wedding at the castle with the carriage and the white horses that were going to take us away, you can easily put that in the trial column. Check. Boom. Trial. I was going to get to go on a carriage with white horses. Never done that before. But it devastated me for a long time. I gotta be honest, I was tempted just to go back into retreat mode, right? To, to just back off, to quit, stop pressing into the things of God. But praise the Lord, God loved me too much to allow me to do that. He kept on pursuing me with His love and His grace. And he wasn't going to let that trial defeat me. In fact, he was going to use it to draw me even closer to himself. God used that time of tears and anger and frustration to bring me back to him. He gave me the opportunity to fall in love with him all over again. And I asked the Lord for help. I asked him for wisdom and he was faithful in his love to give me what I needed. So ask for wisdom. And then verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe. You must not doubt. Because the one who doubts, I like this, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Beautiful imagery there. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The word translated doubt is literally dispute. So in in different contexts, you're going to see this word referred to a dispute with another person, right? That makes sense. You have a dispute with another person. Here, though, you can see that it's referred to a person who's having a dispute with who? Themself, right? So the doubt is to be someone who is disputing with yourself. You are of a divided mind. You're inconsistent towards God. It's a reckless, wavering distrust, a refusal to trust God. This person is like a wave blown and tossed by the wind. A truly miserable existence, by the way. And yet, I've seen people who, who profess to be Christians, but yet they have the hardest time trusting God. Trusting in the voice of the Holy Spirit within them. And and in them, you see this constant dispute. You see a constant battle going on within them. You see it in how they live. You see it in how they act. You see it in how they treat other people in the decisions they make. That they are a double-minded person. Unstable in all their ways. That's not the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. You know, we're going to have doubts. 
Every one of us. Yes, we have doubts. I have doubts. You have doubts. But as Christians, when our doubts arise, what do we do? We take the side of God. We take the side of God's truth when doubts arise. We don't allow our minds to become so divided and self-disputing that we would welcome and especially ever accept these doubts. No. That's one of the great benefits of the Word of God, right? That's why we read our Bibles. That's one of the great benefits of going to church. Uh, When we get into God's Word and actively engage in His family, we are reminded of God's truth. And His truth, by the way, speaks directly to our doubts. So as Christians, it's okay if we have doubts. It's okay if we have questions. But it's important to remember that at the core of who we are, I'm talking to every one of us who are Christians, at the core of who we are, we put our faith in God, don't we? We put our trust in God. We believe in the Word of God. We believe that we are a new creation through Christ in us. We believe that the Holy Spirit resides within us and that He is the voice of truth and that He is leading us and guiding us. We believe in God. We are not, be confident of this, we are not tossed like a wave in the ocean. We're not. You and I, we're on solid rock. We're on the sure foundation, Jesus Christ. All right, verses 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So when talking about double-mindedness, keep that issue in your brain today, it often comes from a person who's trying to serve both God and mammon, right? God and money. Or wealth. Now, and, and you can try to serve both God and money if you have lots of money. But you can also do it if you have no money. I've served God and money when I had money and when I didn't have money. It, sadly, most of us in this room, we've walked down that road where we've tried to serve both God and money. It is a miserable road to travel full of disappointment, dissatisfaction, discontentment. We could spend, in fact, just in this little group right now, we could spend the rest of our time just sharing story after story after story of the disaster that is you trying to serve both God and money. Many of us have learned the hard way. That it just cannot be done. But praise the Lord, God has brought us out of that kind of thinking, hasn't he? And now we find our joy, not in the wealth of this world, but in the richness of being found in Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful, by the way, to say that you are satisfied in Christ? I love that. That I am satisfied in Jesus Christ. And when you become satisfied in him and him alone, you are set free to do what God has called you to do. Anyone else find that? When when you truly are satisfied in Jesus Christ, even what you say, even how you look at the world, you're just free. You are free to love God and to love others. You are set free to do what God has called you to do. And by the way, if money still has a grip on your life, I'd just say this. Talk to one of our brothers or sisters in Christ here who's been down this road a little bit longer than you have. There is so much wisdom, even in this room right now. Allow them to share their stories. Allow them to share their testimonies of what really matters in life. I've learned a lot in this area from Alan Kuykendall. If you guys know Alan, sometimes he drums over there, an incredible man. He's always giving away things to others all the time. In fact, many of you probably have something that he gave to you. And and I'll talk to him about this and I'll say, man, why are you giving away all this stuff? And he says, Pastor Dan, it's just stuff. And I'll say, but it's good stuff. (laughs) And it is. It is. 
It's truly stuff that matters to him. He's not giving away junk. He gives away things of value, of importance. But yet he knows what truly matters in life, that he has all that he needs in Christ Jesus. And again, once you're at that place where you are truly satisfied in Jesus, then it really is only stuff. But it can be a difficult journey to get to that place where we don't serve both God and money. So we need to learn from the Bible and we need to learn from people like Alan. As Christians, we don't want our rejoicing to be found in what we do or don't have, right? We want our rejoicing to be found in Jesus, right? To be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7.22. He says, For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. He's saying whether you are a slave or freed, when you put your faith in the Lord, what matters now isn't who you are in the natural. What matters now is who you are in the supernatural. Freed or slave, you are the Lord's. And that's the only thing that matters. James says a very similar thing. He's writing to a group of Christians. By the way, a group of Christians who differ economically. Some of them are rich. Some of them are poor. So he encourages those who are poor, maybe those who society has overlooked, who doesn't value you, he tells you to rejoice because you are exalted in Christ. In Christ, you're not forgotten. In Christ, you're not overlooked. Whatever you might be labeled here on this earth, <laughs> in heaven, you are nothing less than a fellow citizen with all of God's people. Amen. Amen. And for the rich follower of Christ, you are to rejoice as well because in Christ you are brought down to a level where the deceitfulness of riches, where the anxiety and pressure to amass and maintain wealth is no longer your primary goal. For in Christ, you learn as a rich person to look at your wealth in a completely different way. Your real wealth, you understand and learn, is found in who? In Jesus in the eternal, in the things unseen. The Christian who is rich understands that compared to the unshakable, unmovable wealth that you have in Christ Jesus, the wealth of this world is uncertain. It's only for a moment. It will pass away just like you, by the way, like a wildflower that blossoms for a moment and then it withers and fades away. So every one of us, whether we're rich or whether we're poor, our boast, our rejoicing isn't found in what we do or don't have. But our boast is found in Jesus, in Jesus. Paul says this so well in Galatians 6, 14. Listen to this. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's a powerful statement. The world and the things of this world have been crucified to Paul. All that matters now to him is Jesus. And church this morning, as we head into this new series, I pray that we would get laser focused on what truly matters in this world. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. As you go through trials, as you go through hardships, in times of plenty, in times of want, when you're rich, when you're poor, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're on the mountaintop, and when you're in the valley, what's going to matter, what's going to be important to you is that you got Jesus. Nothing else is going to matter when all is said and done. So as we leave here, the question for all of us is this. I guess two questions. Number one, do you got Jesus? And number two, do you trust him? Do you got Jesus? And do you trust him? When life hits you in the gut, do you trust him? When you lose your job, or when your spouse leaves you, or when your child dies, or when the pressure of this life is so intense that you can barely breathe, Do you trust him 
Or do you cling to the things of this world, to wealth, to possessions, to things that one day will all rust, corrode, and fade away? I believe this series is going to be life-changing for some of you in this room. But the transformation that God wants to do in your life, it can only truly begin once you fully put your trust and faith in Him. So I just ask this question. Is there anybody here who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus where you've confessed Him as your Lord and your Savior? Maybe you know of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of Him. Maybe you've even talked about Him. But you know in your heart that you don't really know Him. You've never invited him into your life. And there is a really good chance that if that's you today, that he is calling you to live for him. Probably for the first time in your life. Today is an opportunity to say yes to God. Yes to Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. And yes to the eternal life that he wants to give you. If that's you, if you want to say yes to God and yes to Jesus for the first time in your life, would you just raise your hand so I can see you and everybody else can see you as well? Anybody? a pretty cool deal. All right. And this is my second question. Some of us have some serious trust issues. Might be because of your upbringing or past experiences. I just hate seeing that. I see it all the time. We are ready to bail on God the minute life gets hard or difficult. But yeah, I would pray that this morning he is stirring up within you a passion. No, no, no. A passion to fully trust him. To endure. To persevere in the testing of your faith so that you can truly be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If God is calling you this morning to a place um, where you would truly put everything you have, all of your trust, once again in him and him alone, would you raise your hand? Yeah, I see you. Absolutely. Raise your hand. Let the world know that you're a believer. Let the world know that you trust in God, that you want to trust in God. Amen. Amen. Me too. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, you see us. You see our hearts. You see our desire to put our trust in you, God. It's, it's on my own life. I just think about this world and, and TV and, and the books and the Facebook and Twitter and everything. I, I don't hear a lot. I don't read a lot. That tells me I'm supposed to put all my trust in you. I see things about cars, about houses and jobs. And I see a whole lot about retirement. And, and, and just I see a lot of fear. I see a lot of worry. Um, I don't see anything that says just put your faith and trust in God. But yet when I read your word, that's all I see. <laughs> it's like that's the thing is trust in me. Trust in me. Obey me. Obey me. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Trust in me. Acknowledge me in all your ways. And so, Lord, today as a church, we just do that again. We put our trust in you again. Even now, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Just begin to speak to us. You, you know our doubts. You know our fears. You know our anxiety. You know our worries. You know where we're anxious about things. You know where we're hurt, where we're angry. You know where there's been abuse. You know where we've been taken advantage of. You know where people have ruined our trust. They've just completely exploded our trust. You know all those areas. But right now, I, I just pray that any, anything that has happened in the spiritual realm where we have put those people and attached them to who you are, I just pray those, those bonds will be broken in the mighty name of Jesus right now. That any, anything that we believed to be true of you because they were true of somebody else, 
I just pray that that would be broken right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. We can trust you, God. We can trust you. In fact, even now, every one of us that are Christians in this room, there is a place prepared for us in heaven. We are not alone ever again. Ever. So, Lord, anything that we've believed otherwise, I just pray that it would be removed in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for this week. The reality in this week, there's going to be some trials. <laughs> and and I, we just spend so much of our effort trying to avoid trials. But I pray that you just give us one opportunity this week. Instead of to run away from the trial, that we would persevere. That we would hold steadfast. That we would remain under it and not fail and not quit and not step back and not leave and not cower, not fear. But we would just hold. We would stand ground. We would hold knowing that your burden is light and your yoke is easy, but we would just stand. Stand knowing God is for me, not against me. He's faithful to complete this good work that he started in me. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. He's on my side. If God is for me, who could be against me? We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Death is beaten. Death is conquered. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold. I just pray that this week, Lord, that you would remind us that it's, that it's what we've been called to do, Lord. Sometimes we're called to hold. And our faith is tested, but the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And perseverance will finish its work, and we will be not lacking anything. We will be mature and complete in you, Christ Jesus. And that is truly good news. And I pray for testimonies next week, Lord, that we can say, yes, I went through hell and back, but the Lord was with me, and he taught me, and he's building me up to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.